Hello and welcome to the PLMR podcast. I'm Luke Warpole, a Senior Account Manager at PLMR. And I'm Isabella Perales, also a Senior Account Manager at PLMR. So today is World Youth Skills Day and ostensibly skills and further education have become a cornerstone of the government's approach to levelling up and the country's post-COVID recovery. From the lifelong skills guarantee through to the creation of skills boot camps and the FE White Paper, much of the Conservatives' education platform has arguably been built on challenging the disparity between academic and vocational education. So to discuss the impact of these changes and the way in which the government could perhaps go further, we're delighted to be joined by David Gallagher, CEO of NCFE, an educational charity and leader in vocational and technical learning, and Dr Neil Bentley-Gottman, OBE, CEO of WorldSkills UK, an independent charity and partnership between employers, education and UK governments, which advocates for excellence in skills. Thank you both for joining us and I hope you are well. So our first question, as we have mentioned, um, on the surface of things, skills and FE have become such an important part of the government's platform. David, why do you think this is and how do skills and FE play into the Conservatives' levelling up agenda? Well, it's great to see that the recognition is there um, that that skills is plays such an important role in productivity. You know, making sure that people have the the knowledge, the skills, the the, the attributes, uh, and the competence to to perform really well in work. And, and we know that productivity, economic productivity, is a massive driver for uh, societal prosperity. And um, so, so there is that recognition from from government that uh, skills has got a, a vital role to play um do you know when we had the uh, the, the, the tony blair led uh, labor government um we, we saw a massive shift towards universities university education and that being seen you know as, as the benchmark of success and and whilst you know higher education degrees are hugely important as part of the mix i think we sort of got out of kilter in terms of how we valued technical and vocational routes, apprenticeships, you know, things like T-levels, of course, now coming through. So, so the recognition is there because the evidence tells us that, that, that economies and societies that are healthy, are productive, are vibrant, have place, place a really high level uh, of value on vocational and technical skills at, at all levels. And one of the challenges within that that I see is we've got to be really careful that we don't think it's all about higher, you know, level four, five and even degree level, because actually level two, level three, level four are all really important building blocks of, a, you know, a healthy workforce, you know, a productive workforce and a workforce that can deliver, you know, success economically, but also success in our communities and societies as well. And um, so it's, for me, it's, it's probably the most exciting time to be in the sector that I've been in for about 20 years. I was really excited at the beginning, got a bit excited in the middle, and then I'm, I'm really excited again because we're getting that sort of deal, sunshine, hopefully, and the investment that's needed. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, do you think that the Lifetime Skills Guarantee has enough within it to be able to foster social mobility and sort of creating that change at that lower level, sort of level two and level three as well? Uh, so I'll start with a positive um, and then uh, something else thereafter. So I think it's absolutely fantastic that there is recognition that for the vast majority of us, you know, me included, that we are going to have to invest in a lifetime of development of our skills, not just to be um, included in the labour market and productive in the labour market, but actually to be included and, 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 and part of society much more broadly as well. You know, digital is in every corner of our lives now. You know, the other, other majorly important factors such as, as equity, diversity, 
Um, do you know sustainability? Do you know these are all things that matter to us as, as human beings, that matter to our families, to, to our communities, but are also going to matter increasingly in, in the workplace as well. Um, meta skills that I talk about a lot, you know, hugely important, critical thinking, judgment, decision making, there's a, there's a long list. So I think it's fantastic that the lifetime skills guarantee recognises that. The two, two big problems as I see it is that, uh, yes, there may be an opportunity for people to undertake skills development, but, but will people have the means to do so? And can they afford to take on debt, which, which currently uh, the, these qualifications could come with for, for some learners? Um, and, and, and then alongside that, will people have the, you know, the inspiration and motivation to engage in these programmes, even if they have the opportunity? So we've got to get the, you know, the, the means and, and the motivation piece right as well. So that, that's the first problem. It does really worry me, the notion of asking people to take on debt who may have other debts or may not have you know, the ability to do that or even the desire to do that, um, to, to, to invest in themselves. And but the second problem is that the list that we've got that is fundable through the lifetime skills guarantee at the moment, it's big chunky programs. It's largely based on treasury understanding, do you know, what has delivered value historically. It's not based on what's needed for the future. Um, and whilst, you know, we've got to make sure it's this is a really good use of public funds, even though, you know, it's, it's, it's got debt in, attached as well. Um, we've got to be more future focused. And for me, that means modular. It means looking at, you know, the skills that are needed in future, not just needed for now or for, you know, where we've been previously. And these are the ways that we've got to make sure that the list, if you like, of what's available is really future focused and equips people with all of the skills, whether it's technical, vocational, uh, academic, or even the human skills that are going to be needed for people to be uh, really uh, valuable in that future future world that we're heading towards faster than ever. Brilliant. So, um, Neil, just kind of looking at the the broader economic picture, um, David's spoken a lot about productivity, but world skills, <clears throat> you've done a lot of work and research into internal investment and what kind of high quality skills pipelines can do to drive internal investment from overseas. Um, do you think enough is being done to capitalise on this in government? Um, what more kind of could be done to, to make that broader economic economic argument for skills. Yeah, I mean, I think what David was touching on as well was, you know, it's the kind of the supply side of, you know, if we're upskilling people and we're giving people huge opportunities, we're going to invest in them to make the most of the opportunities from the demand side. We're going to say, where, where are the opportunities and what, what, what sectors are they in? Where are the, what sort of jobs are they? And I think that's where, you know, the work that we've been doing at WorldSkills UK is very much around looking at the demand side of, are we doing enough to attract investment to create jobs in digital, as David was saying, but also things like clean tech, um, advanced manufacturing, alongside you know highly traded services sector, um, and you know what we found is that we've been tracking this for a number of years. EY reports every year on um, annual annually inward investment trends and looking at overseas investors who want to come and invest and create jobs in the UK. And they've been saying for years, they've been worried about the supply of skills and the quality of skills. And so we've picked this up um, with EY and set up a business task force to look at how can we make more of the connection between inward investment um, to make sure that those inward investors are confident to come and invest and create high quality jobs in the UK and that the skills system will respond to their needs in terms of quality 
I don't quantity. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, you know, it hasn't really been looked at enough in terms of policy. And that's what we're finding as we're, as we're doing research, where you get, particularly from a, an overseas perspective, and you look at how the UK is promoted, um, the knowledge economy is promoted very strongly in terms of HE and, and our research and development capability. And that is all absolutely fantastic. Um, but the confidence in promoting our skill system isn't there. Um, and maybe that's due to lack of understanding or other factors. And that's what we want to look into, because from our perspective, it's very much, we do have this fantastic knowledge economy. I mean, David was talking about the Tony Blair government in the 90s. And you know, all that focus on HE or high level skills was not just in the UK, it was worldwide. Everybody wanted to build a knowledge economy. And we are now, you know, world renowned for that knowledge economy. So we, you know, we're not knocking it, it's fantastic. And the, you know, the advances we've made just recently in sort of vaccine, um, vaccination world leading, you know, Oxford University is just brilliant. What we're not talking about there, there was the lab technicians, you know, the, the people that are working in the labs who are doing all of the work at level four or five. We need to be talking about as well as a world-class knowledge economy, a world-class skills economy. And I think by joining these two agendas up, we can really start to create a much more powerful narrative about the role that skills and skill systems can play in helping the economy grow, and more importantly, creating high quality jobs for the young people, and you know, this is World Youth Skills Day, for young people that we're training up, um, because you need to connect that supply and demand. And I think it's therefore really exciting in the, in the white paper that there is this focus on local skills improvement plans and trying to get um, economic leaders, and I include you know, FE leaders in that, who are looking at you know, developing local economic uh, opportunities um, through inward investment as well, and um, to really start shouting about what they're great at and what they want to be famous for. And that will create fantastic opportunities, job opportunities, career opportunities for young people all across the UK. Um, and we've just seen it, you know, just thinking this week, we've seen fantastic um, announcements in the Northeast um, with Nissan and British Volt around electric vehicles and gigafactories, and that's all really exciting. Where are the skills coming from? Who's thinking about the skill supply and the quality of supply that's going to keep that investment coming to create the jobs that's going to make the Northeast of England famous for gigafactories and electric vehicles worldwide? And I think that's the exciting opportunity about all of these things coming together. Uh, absolutely. And so does is the uk playing catch-up in this regard i mean when you look across the rest of europe there's obviously the the usual knee-jerk responses that we need a more german system it just seems to be what people cleave towards um is that at all relevant to us and um how do we compare to kind of competitors across the world yeah i mean i think there's there's very little data around um sort of economic comparability and skills comparability i mean there's no um, the OECD runs PISA, uh, you know, uh, for performance in schools that don't have the same sort of thing for skills. I mean, the, the only, as I keep, I keep saying, the only glo global benchmarking system around skills is world skills. Um, and what that is indicative of where economies are putting their focus when you see, you know, the Chinese and Taiwanese and Japanese doing so well in digital skills and advanced manufacturing. Um, and as, as opposed to lamenting the absence of, you know, lots of interesting data, I think we need to just take, you know, a sense of, well, what we need to be doing is thinking about um, there are, there's benchmarking activity going on what do we need to learn from that to make sure that from an economic development perspective, 
we are playing to our strengths in the UK, identifying what the strengths are and playing to them. Um, and I think what you know what we're trying to do at World Skills UK is really learn from the best globally. So we've set up recently skills partnerships with Japan and Korea and Taiwan, this Russia, and there's more to come to learn from them, not just about how they train and assess young people, but also how it links into their economic development strategies. And because the, our counterparts in, in those other countries are part of government agencies. And so they're all linked in and integrated in the skills development and international best practice and benchmarking is all linked into economic development. And I think that's what we need to get better at. It's not about trying to be more German or more Swiss or more Austrian or, or more Chinese. It's actually about being the best that we're going to be good at in the UK and being proud of the excellence that there is in our system and celebrating it more and the excellence in industry and business and celebrating that more, but being clear about, are we going to be the best in the world at electric vehicles and battery technology, um, about carbon capture and storage in the North Sea or you know wind turbines, offshore wind, and then going for it in terms of really making sure that we are developing world-class welders um, who are going to help the companies that are going to invest in Hull and the Humber side and making sure we are training welders to the standard that, that they need. And, the, and we can help with that through international benchmarking and saying, well, who's brilliant at welding? We know it's the Koreans and the Japanese. So actually, what are we gonna learn from them and how are we gonna help colleges and training providers in those regions to be world-class so that we're attracting the investment and keeping those jobs and creating those jobs in the UK. And I think that's where we need to shift the focus in terms of international perspectives. It's less about sort of data and saying, I wish we could be more like this up than the other, and much more about practical things that we can do to learn from the best of the rest of the world and make sure we're implementing it properly so that our economy is growing in the right way and we're creating the right opportunities for more young people. Wow. Along that vein, then, I suppose the centrepiece of the government's current strategy is arguably the skills bill, um, which has now reached the committee stage in the House of Lords. Um, David, from NCFE's perspective, does the bill provide the revolution that we need to see in FE or what are your thoughts kind of on the, the trajectory of that? Um, it's probably slightly controversial, but the short answer to that is no. Um, but the reason I'm, I'm not too worried about it is because the revolution will happen irrespective and, and it is happening because it's happening from you know from the ground up it's happening from you know leading figures in the sector like like neil and, and i'm not just saying that because he's here do you know that it's it is happening in spite despite despite um so and, and the reason the reason i say that is um there isn't anything in the skills bill that i haven't seen at some point in my career so how, how is that truly revolutionary how is that truly innovative and it might be right but it, it's it's not signaling revolution to me um, but as I say, I'm, I'm not too too worried about that. Um, if I'm if I'm to sort of start on some of uh, what, what I mean more specifically about that, um, th there's a complete lack of recognition that technical skills is just one part of the story and jobs is just one part of the story. So so why why are we not talking about uh, how we help learners to build cultural and social capital through education? Uh, why, why are we not talking about the importance of uh, truly inspired and inspiring educators that have got the bandwidth to do what they do best and really engage, infuse, inspire learners to be the very best they can be. Uh, why, why are we only talking about employer centricity when there's more to life than just work? 
Do you know, work is hugely important. Do you know, I've worked in some of the most deprived communities in Europe and I know how important work is and I know how even much more important fulfilling meaningful work can be for people and, and their, their families and, and their communities, but it's not everything. Do you know, if, we're, if we've learned nothing from this last year, we should learn that, you know, this deep human connection that we've got with family and friends when it's not there, that's, that's really important. So why aren't we talking about, do you know, st stronger families, do you know, stronger communities and how education has got a role to play there. Uh, we, we've talked about simplification for the last 20 years and we've never managed to simplify the system yet, but there are some great ideas as to how we go about doing that without just slashing and burning a load of qualifications because we don't think we need them, even though the evidence proves that a lot of the qualifications that are out there in the system now give young people and adults the choice that is right for them. Um, so, so no, it's not revolutionary, but as I say, I'm, I'm not worried. The one big, big positive that I will, I do take, and there are a number, there are a number, so I'm, I'm not critical about all of it, but it is this recognition finally that actually we will not have world-class technical and vocational education without world-class educators. So finally, 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 we get that bit. Now, how do we make that a reality? Do you know, how do we take, do you know, this 60% of, of a, a, an educator's time that's spent on planning and marking, how do we take that away as much as we're able? It's important and it matters, but to give them the bandwidth to really enthuse and really inspire and, and do you know, raise the sights of learners, do you know, whether that's an adult who's reskilling or whether it's a young person who still hasn't quite figured out what they want yet, so they need to do something that they love, uh, because that will give them a greater chance of, of success. Absolutely. Um, I, I guess linking in with that, David, just on the kind of the on the ground difference and the on the ground change that that we're kind of seeing and that we need. Um, obviously, World Skills and NTFE have partnered for the Centre for Excellence program, and I was just wondering how that is embedding the the grassroots change that we really need. So, I mean, I'll, I'll share some thoughts on this initially, and then Neil's maybe even better place to, because he's, he's much, him and his team are much closer to the detail, of course, of, of running the Centre of Excellence. But a couple of things that have been really striking for me, uh, firstly, the level of demand, Do you know, how many college leadership teams, how many educators want to get involved and want to move beyond this, you know, this competence paradigm that we're in now to an excellence paradigm. And, and the way, again, I say, say this sometimes in a bit of a controversial way, Do you know, Competent is just the other side of incompetent. Is that good enough? Do you know? Do we want people who are just not incompetent? That's not particularly aspirational, is it? And and how many people came into the sector to make people just better than incompetent? I don't think any of us did. So do you know this, this notion that excellence is something that we should and could all strive for? Um, I, I just think we've got to raise our sights on that. And it's incredible to see the demand from college leadership teams who have had such a difficult period and educators who have probably never worked so hard with so many challenges in their personal lives and yet they've still wanted to engage in this often above and beyond you know the day-to-day -day demands of their job role and that for me that that's what I take inspiration from that the people want this it's needed and there is a, a shift and, and this is you know the revolution part of the re revolution that I'm, I'm talking about so that's the first thing the second thing is that excellence exists in our system already we just don't always recognise it, lift it up, celebrate it, share it and make the most of it. And, you know, what an amazing feeling for, you know, somebody who is delivering excellence for their learners and for our societies and for our community, for us to really recognise and celebrate them. Do you know how hard has it been a teacher? I, I, I'm still homeschooling now on occasions and I'm terrible at it. It is a really, really, really hard job um, and particularly with everything that's going on. So I think that investment... Um, 
and, and recognition for our educators who va the vast majority of them came into this sector to make a difference was actually you know capturing that the, the essence of that and bottling it and sharing it with as many people as we can so they, they I suppose the top line some of the things that are really inspiring me around this this area of work and, and as I say Neil knows this much better than me but that's the stuff I get excited about it is but it is that um you know, there are some fantastic people in our system that need to be celebrated. I mean, the reason David and I started talking about this and then uh, we've got this joint project between our two organisations is, you know, a focus on teachers. We all remember fantastic teachers and they're so important to inspire um, young people to go further in their careers and, and to challenge themselves. And this was an opportunity to take from the world skills system, you know, people who are training young people year after year to world-class standards. They haven't arrived from Mars. They're working in colleges and training providers around the country. You know, they're in our system and they know how to do this. So the challenge we posed to ourselves was, well, if they know how to do it, how can we get more people doing this? How can we give them space to innovate? And um, so this, this project came out of a piece of research with Oxford University, looking at the training and assessment methodology we use within world skills, and then really quickly ramping that up into a sort of, right, here's a program, train the trainer program, online resources, you know, global best practice dissemination, really helping, um, first of all, in, in year one, 20 colleges, I mean, 55 colleges, at David's point about demand, wanted to be involved, we only had 20 spaces. Um, and so we've set up an innovation network alongside that to get more colleges involved in what we're doing, because there is such demand for excellence. But it is about, you know, how do we how do we mainstream this through the system? That's that's really the challenge we now have, because we know there's demand for higher quality. We know that the impact that it's having on teachers just from the end of year one of the pilot has been phenomenal. You know, they're they're feeling more confident, motivated, challenged, giving space to innovate. Um, you know, and that's having a fantastic impact on them in terms of their own professional pride and in what they're doing in a really difficult period. But it's also having a fantastic impact on the learners. And so, you know, we're, we're just going into year two. Again, there's been phenomenal demand. And we're having to, we're thinking now, right, right, how do we gear up capacity now um, to make sure that we can meet the demand that's there in the system? And I think that speaks to, you know, this whole context that we're operating in is there is demand from college leaders around the UK for excellence. They want to be the best. They want to do the best for their learners and students and apprentices, and they want to succeed and help the, the people in their charge succeed and employers succeed and therefore the countries to succeed and everybody's invested in this huge effort so I think there's a massive opportunity in the skills bill you know does create an environment and a focus for people that do want to change things to actually you know step up and drive change and I think that's one of the things that often gets missed, I think, with um, when people focus on the, the details of what's in legislation, as opposed to the focus and the context that's created by Number 10 and the Department for Education, the Treasury, all focusing on skills. And it's, you know, this is an issue all around the four nations, not just in England, that when you, when you do that and create space, we need to step into that space and move things forward. And you know, I was really pleased that in the white paper, the center of excellence was you know, highlighted and endorsed, but it was done in such a way as, yeah, get on with it. And other people should be getting on with things like this. You know, We were creating the space, step in behind it 
and drive the things you know need to happen. Don't wait for permission. Don't wait for the government to tell you to do something. Step up, step in and make change happen. And that's why I think, you know, it's a really exciting time as well for us to be in SEAL system, in, in FE, and we've got to make the most of the opportunities that are being presented. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, really inspiring to kind of hear the practical steps that you're already taking to, um, to kind of make the change that, that's necessary. Um, one final, I guess, big picture question really is you've spoken a lot about that this is, I suppose, a gradual process where you're highlighting excellence, you're empowering people to improve, but is there one kind of transformational change? I know that's a bit of a cliche question, but is there one thing that you would like to see happen which would really make a difference to not just learners, but uh, the whole system and how it could kind of put FE into a place where it's kind of working for, for all learners and um, bringing all the, all the benefits that we've spoken about today? Um, I, th I think it's about a level of ambition. I think it's, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's a narrative around us being more ambitious um, for, for learners and apprentices. And it's about you know, something David has talked about, excellence for all. Why aren't we ambitious that everybody should have a level of excellence in their education and, um, and that everybody can achieve that with, with the right resources and the right teaching methods? Um, because that's certainly what other countries are doing. You know, they're, they're, they're not, you know, sitting on their laurels thinking, oh, well, you know, we're not very good at this. They are driving that level of ambition. And I think if we can all um, think about it in that way, which is we can achieve excellence for all, um, and there's already excellence in our system, and that we need to look at continuous improvement to drive excellence in other different ways, and we can learn from other countries as well. We shouldn't be shy about going out to the rest of the world and going, what are they doing well? It's not just wholesale systems of borrowing other people's systems and I wish we were more German. It's more, well, what do they do well and how do we use that in the UK? I think that's the sort of shift I'd like to see. It was, it was, there was a reference in the white paper to international competitiveness, but actually what we've got to do is really big that up in the, in the context of Brexit, in the context of global Britain, where we're going to be trading and it was um, over you know, more and more countries, particularly in the Far East where our trade and investment ambitions are, we need to be benchmarking against those countries and saying, you know, because, because if they want to buy, we want them to buy from us, we're going to have to meet the standards that, that, that they need. And so this is where the skill system can step into that. And so I think just a, a really big ambitious narrative of the role that the skills systems in the UK can play in achieving economic policy, defence and diplomatic ambitions would just be fantastic. And on World Skills, World Youth Skills Day, <laughs> um, you know, I think having that global ambition and the role that the skills system in the UK can, can play in helping the UK meet its global ambitions, I think would just be fantastic. David, is there one ideal, in an ideal world, one thing you would like to see change? Yeah, well, I wish there was just one. There's a very, very long, <laughs> long list. I resist the temptation to do that. Um, I suppose for me, it's just a build on the sort of the, the beautiful way in which Neil has just described that is, you know, if we, if we do have this absolute clarity of what this looks like at its ultimate best, you know, that might take us, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years to get there. If we've got that real clarity as to what that vision is, what, what's in the architecture? Do you know, how do we turn this sort of abstract picture of, you know, this idealised future world, which we, I'm, I'm sure we would all subscribe to, how do we build that out? And, and I think in building that out and, you know, working back from the future, 
one of the really crucially important things is, is then leveraging you know, the collective intelligence and the collective resources that we've got across the system to, 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 to deliver, you know, the, the, the maximum sort of, uh, I, I suppose, benefit to the system to, to, to put the right sort of fuel in the tank to get there. The centre of excellence is, and, and sorry, because I'm, I'm going on about this a bit, which is a really good example of Neil and I recognised that actually the evidence was there. We could see a better way of doing things. We could have lobbied government forever and maybe would have got there in three, four, five years. And, you know, the trustees of NCFE, you know, put the, agree to put the fuel in the tank to make this a reality, to prove the case, you know, to prove. And, you know, we're just one reasonably sized organisation, but it's a much, much bigger sector. So there are, there are a number of other examples of where, you know, through organisations like World Skills, who can be this convening platform, you know, have this galvanising effect where if we can just bring our collective intelligence and our collective resources together, we can do much more. We can do much more because I'm, I'm, I've not met many, if any, you know, leaders in the sector or educators who wouldn't sign up to excellence being available for everybody. Um, but you know, in a, in a fragmented, diffused sector with you know, compliance reigning supreme in a lot of instances, we're not going to get there. And, and government, I mean, I, you can tell Neil's got much more diplomacy and tact than me because there are lots of positive things about the skills bill. And he's absolutely right that part of it is government saying, come on, sector, over to you. And so that, that for me, is a positive sign that actually can government make this less political and more about what's right for learners and what's right for employers and the economy. And in some instances, get out of the way and let the experts, and, and I'm not saying that's me, by the way, or us, by the way, but we have within our organisations and more broadly, the experts that knows, know what it takes to deliver world-class, truly transformational learning experiences and the best possible outcomes for people. So, you know, get, get out of the way and, and let, them, let them do it. Um, so that's a very long one point, and I'll, uh, I'll send you the list as well, the wish list. Look forward to reading that. <laughs> Um, thank you so much both for, for your time this morning. Um, really inspiring chat and I'm sure the sector is in good hands. It sounds like you both have got a plan and you can sort it out from here. So thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks guys.